You are now listening to the Here for the Truth podcast, hosted by Joel Rafidi and Eurosimos. What's up, everybody? Uh, welcome back. Episode 74. Um, I'm doing the intro today. Joel's got his day off. <laughs> we got um, a returning guest, Dr. Melissa Sell. Uh, you may have last seen her on episode 70, no, episode 23. Um, also, just want to let you know that we are still accepting applications for Rise Above the Herd, our eight-week group coaching program. We finished up our first run and really excited for the second run. But uh, this episode with Melissa was incredible. We really got uh, deeper into um, dramatic healing knowledge and practical applications and just really had an all-around awesome conversation that I think you're really going to enjoy. Like I say at the end of the episode, Germanic healing knowledge is the ultimate red pill. So, um, yeah, get your thinking hats on, your self-knowledge hats on, your self-observation hats on, and, uh, and I hope you hopefully you enjoy the episode. I like that a lot, man. You're doing a pretty good job, but I think I'll take back my, my intro next week. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, yeah, um, if you're interested in joining Rise Above the Herd, head to riseabovetheherd.com.au. We kick off June 20. Study is coming up pretty quickly. And without further ado, here is Dr. Melissa Sell. All right, everybody, welcome to episode 74 of Here for the Truth. We have the incredible Dr. Melissa Sell back in the house with us. She's the guest on one of the most popular episodes in the history of this podcast, episode 23 on um, disease, a whole new perspective, healing and disease, a whole new perspective. For those that don't know, Dr. Melissa Sell is a chiropractor and Germanic healing knowledge teacher. She helps people to understand their symptoms from the GHK perspective, guides them in learning to trust their bodies, and teaches them mental shifts for creating a deep sense of peace and well-being. If you're looking for an introduction into Germanic healing knowledge, we suggest you go check out episode 23 first, but we know for most of our listeners, they're now pretty well-versed with that episode, and we're here now for a follow-up and to really discuss, okay, we know this information. We kind of understand the basics of it. What are the next steps in really applying this into our lives in a profound way? But first off, let's check in with Melissa. What's going on in your world? Are people getting more excited about GHK? Is it raising in popularity? Or Yes, it is. I mean, we're having opportunities all the time. Erasmus a couple of weeks ago and I, we were at Music and Sky and got to share it with a ton of new people. And people are really getting turned on to this information. And the thing about it is, you know, it just feels right. Like when you listen to it and, and kind of where the direction I wanted to go today is just kind of checking in with yourself of how do you feel about this information? Some people, they hear it and you kind of have to be ready, ready to accept personal responsibility for kind of what this means in your experience, because this, uh, in, in GHK, you can't really hide you. There's no more blaming. <laughs> there's no more scapegoats. We're not looking at external things as the cause, the source of, of disease or illness. We're looking inside at our conflicts, at the stuff we haven't looked at yet, at the areas of our life that, you know, may be uncomfortable to, to examine sometimes. The thing about this work is that it, it reveals your biological symptoms, reveal your personal history. And to be able to look at that with this, um, this curiosity and this honesty, radical self-honesty, um, is, is the next step of looking at 
why do I have what I have? Why am I dealing with what I'm dealing with? If something is unresolved, if you still have a symptom, there's there's something that you're not quite seeing about the conflict and you just keep asking questions. Um, and so it'll be fun to discuss with you guys just, you know, either conflicts that you've noticed in your own experience, um, people's uh, noticing even something as simple as a sneeze, you making the connection between a sneeze and a stink conflict is, is foundational. So you can see, oh, that's how my body, I'm learning all the time. I feel um, as though I'm constantly paying attention to my own symptoms. So I can see, oh, that's how my body interpreted that situation. That's how their body interpreted that situation when someone else sneezes. So um, yeah, we can take this in any direction you guys want, but I think that really helping people to see that this is all meaningful and your body is always communicating with you about deeper aspects of how your psyche is interpreting your experience. Cool. Yeah. I definitely want to get into that where we can talk about specific examples from our lives. Cause I think definitely the next step is like, how do people apply this? Cause they get this knowledge and, you know, some of the websites can be a little bit more like really technical that people go to around this. So it's like, how can we simplify it so people can really get into it? Um, but I wanted to really start off, it's just coming to me right now, but because it's so popular in the health field, I want to get your take on it. The word detox. Because everyone is like, oh, I got a rash because I started a new diet. It's a detox. Oh, I did a thing. It's a detox. A detox. Everything's a detox. All these symptoms are a detox. And I just would love to hear your um, point of view around that, especially from a G through a GHK lens. Yes. And so my old perspective, so prior to learning about GHK and understanding the biological laws, um, the, de the detox idea made a lot of sense that the body detoxes through the skin, it detoxes through the bowel, it detoxes through the nose. And so we can see and interpret symptoms as, as a detox symptom. But there's something about that that doesn't track, and that is the randomness of it. How um, every single time a person experiences a symptom, when you're understanding it from the biological law perspective, you're looking at the, the tissue type, you're looking at the biological program. The thing that just doesn't track for me about just labeling a symptom as a detox is why the right elbow and not the left? Why does it show up here and not there? Why now? Why today is my body expressing this symptom? And there's theories. There's, oh, people shed together at certain times or detox together at certain times. But again, why are there exceptions to that? And only in the GHK model does it make sense that there's a subjective individual experience going on here. And that's why I have a rash on my right elbow because I had a separation conflict with my partner and my partner left town or we got in a fight and he left and I wanted to embrace him and I couldn't. And therefore the rash, when he returned, showed up on my right elbow. You know, calling that a detox response doesn't totally track. Um, and so looking at the difference between a intentional adaptation program versus a you know somewhat arbitrary detox phenomenon um, resulting as a symptom. And a person who is kind of in that detox model, they're looking at a material thing. They're looking at, I was exposed, I had amalgam fillings. You know, and so I could blame all sorts of symptoms on amalgam fillings back when I had them. If I had a headache, oh, it's probably because I have these silver fillings. If I, if my jaw hurt, oh, it's probably because I have these silver fillings. If I had a sore throat, it's probably because I have these silver fillings. You can see how 
I can label all sorts of different symptoms as a result of a toxin, or even once I got them out, oh, so the, the mercury was released and now I have a whole um, area that I can, I can blame on, on, the, on the silver fillings. Rather than looking at the unique tissue type of the throat and the biological conflict associated with the throat, which is a can't swallow conflict or the jaw and a bite conflict, a self-devaluation. Um, and so the specificity and the reproducibility of the GHK is what um, really turns me on to it and causes me to see there's there's science behind this, there's law there, and it's consistent and specific in every case. And so that's where the detox idea, it's kind of random. It's kind of haphazard in the sense of, well, why now? Why here? Why here and not there? And so that's kind of how I feel about the the detox idea. Yeah. And why, why not? Does it happen to the same person? Let's say, oh, we go, we all went to a sauna and then, you know, the next day someone has something. Well, I was detoxing. So you know, I, I think it. I think the fact that it doesn't happen all the time um, definitely um, supports the fact that, like, how it's just a theory. You know, it's just a theory, and whether or not it holds true, um, I, I find it a bit suspect. And I think the GHK model definitely makes more sense to me personally. Yeah, and looking at, and again, it's looking outside. It's very, it's still the materialist idea. It's still the thing. It's you know, it's not the germ, but now it's the toxin. <laughs> and we look at the toxin and we try to flush the toxin, just like we try to, you know, um, get rid of the germ and take the antibiotic to get rid of the germ or the vaccine to prevent the germ. We're kind of doing the same thing when it comes to toxins. And this is a this is a relevant point though, because um, people will say, well, aren't toxins bad? Aren't they? You know, shouldn't we avoid them? Well, yes, they're not ideal for our organism and our system. They, they didn't, they, they are man-made and the compounds don't help us to function at our maximum. But the difference though is, um, do they cause disease? Do toxins cause cancer? And I would say, no, they don't. Because even something as airtight as you'd say, something like smoking, even smoking doesn't cause cancer. Because if smoking caused cancer, everyone who smokes would get cancer. And people who don't smoke would not get that type of cancer. Yet everybody knows of these exceptions. This is not news um, of somebody who never smoked a day in their life dies of lung cancer mm -hmm. um, or a person smokes until they're 105 and they're as happy as can be. Interesting. I've definitely, um, like obviously in the past, correlated specific symptoms with detoxing protocols um, and whatnot for sure. So yeah. Um, very interesting i mean particularly like um you know but, but you, you think when something's leaving the body it's going to cause pain right or or no well it does it does it every time and that's the thing yeah. is how oh. um we have to look at the and that's why i like i i suggest that people look at all of it you know, mm. look, look at the stuff you're consuming, look at the toxins that you're being exposed to. The thing about toxic exposure that makes the most sense to me is that it's an immediate response. If you intake poison, the poison's coming out immediately. It's not kind of sitting there and waiting until you take the charcoal and then it can release. You know, it's, it's like an immediate reaction and it would happen if it's a poison, it happens in every organism. You know, it's not like we have different tolerance levels for actual poison. Um, it's these kind of sub poisons where we say it accumulates over time and then it sheds out of the body. That's the theory component because it, we can't quantify it. Mm -hmm. We're all being exposed to all sorts of shit all the time. And so how can I quantify the point at which 
my bucket gets full and I start expressing symptoms. Um, that was the idea, again, that I subscribed to for a really long time. But now understanding the biological laws and seeing that these symptoms, they have, there's a whole biology behind why a rash happens here, why a pain happens here, uh, why diarrhea happens right now. And it's, and it can be mapped in the brain. And so the ultimate let's find this out for sure because you know people get really really stuck on the toxin thing stuck on the vaccine thing of the symptoms didn't come on until after the vaccine it has to be the poisons in the vaccine and that's not to say that there's not really really bad stuff in them there is there's neurotoxins there's heavy metals there's stuff that doesn't belong injected into a human body or in dna you know exactly and so um but the thing we need to do, and this is the, the study that needs to be done in order to help us to determine, is it toxin? Is it a DHS inducing a biological program? Um, is a brain scan, you know, a CT brain scan of people who are expressing certain symptoms. And so we suspect maybe it's a detox or a toxin has caused this person to have um, paralysis, but is it a motor conflict? The brain scan would tell all. The brain scan would allow us to see if the impact is in the brain in a specific region that controls that tissue type, um, we would know. The circle is there. That's the impact. That's the DHS. That person experienced a conflict shock. And so that's that moment in time where you are feeling isolated, all alone. You didn't expect this to happen. It was highly acute. You couldn't ignore this thing that happened. You were caught off guard and the body initiated the adaptive program. And all of these programs are meant for survival. They are meant to help you. They're meant to help you to survive, to live another day so that you could hopefully reproduce. And so, um, but if the circle's not there in the brain and the body is expressing a symptom, then we would know this is a toxin. This is, there's some type of poison in the body and that's what is um, bothering this tissue. That's what's causing the body to um, express this symptom. And so when people really kind of press the argument about the toxin, I say, we have to do that study. We have to figure out definitively what's going on here. And so in the meantime, when I'm working with the person, I say, let's look at all of it. Let's, you know, if you feel good about doing a cleanse, a detox, charcoal, whatever it is that you're doing to help to bind up toxins and remove them from your body. If you feel good about that, let's do it. But in addition to that, let's look at the indigestible morsel conflict, the separation conflict, you know, what's keeping you up at night, what's bothering you. Um, because ultimately, if those things are going on, they have to be addressed. And very likely that's actually the source of the symptom, not the accumulation of toxins over your lifetime. Yeah. yeah. Can you, um, just for those listening for the first time, give us a brief um, overview again of the DHS, then I'd like to share with you um, a specific example that I recently had myself. Yep. So the DHS is the Dirk Homer syndrome. And you guys remember from my episode that that's Dr. Homer's son who was shot and later passed away in Dr. Homer's arms. And that is the moment in time. So the DHS, that's the conflict shock. That's the moment that caught you off guard and your body picked up that this is an isolating situation. The body needs to step in to help you to survive it. And so at that moment, your psyche perceives what's going on. It, it activates um, a program depending on the content of what you're dealing with. 
whether it's a morsel, a separation, a loss conflict, a self-devaluation, um, body registers, there's an impact in a very specific area of the brain, and then there's tissue adaptations that are initiated all at that moment in time. So that's the DHS. Yeah. So three weeks ago, I received a message um, from my dad, which caught me completely um, just out of, out of nowhere. And basically he said, hey, Joel, I've driven myself to the hospital. I'm about to have heart surgery. Love you. And like, no, no context, nothing whatsoever to any of this. Um, and three days later, I experienced the worst flu symptoms I have in over five, six, seven years, like could barely move, like constant, like wheezing, coughing, snotty, head cold, all the rest of it. Yeah. Yep. That makes a lot of sense. <laughs> you know, when something's going on with a parent, shocking, out of nowhere, wasn't expecting it, kind of a big deal <laughs> for right. to receive that in a text. It's just like that information kind of hits you like a train, body, that self-devaluation, lung, you know, death fright or fear conflict, uh, you know, sinuses, this stinks, boom, all at once. Yeah. And that's why it's so powerful to look back. You know, this, these, these symptoms do not come out of the blue. They are always, always, always meaningful. And, and the body is doing something to help you to get through it. You know, and that's why people looking, look at your life. When you have a symptom, zoom out, ask yourself, what's gone on in my life recently? And, and know that every organ in your body serves a purpose. Every organ has its specific function. There's a reason that it's there. This actually, I thought you guys would like this. It's a great quote. quote. It's from the Fountainhead. Mm. Um, and it's just, it's, a, it's just brilliant. It's, now, now take a human body. Why wouldn't you like to see a human body with a curling tail, with a crest of ostrich feathers at the end, and, ear, and with ears shaped like acanthus leaves? It would be ornamental, you know, instead of the stark, bare ugliness we have now. Well, why don't you like the idea? Because it would be useless and pointless. Because the beauty of the human body is that it hasn't a single muscle which doesn't serve its purpose. That there is not a line wasted. That every detail of it fits one idea. The idea of man and the life of a man. Mm. And I'm like, mm, yes, Ein. <laughs> uh, because that is, it's, it's that this, the body is so brilliant and every organ that is present in the body is there to serve a purpose. It's there for a reason, you know, yeah. and it's really funny. Um, Helmut Pilhar, who he is Dr. Hammer's approved lecturer who, you know, taught for Dr. Hammer when he was in prison. Um, you know, he, he says all the time, why do men have nipples? Why, why? do men, why do men, why do men have nipples? Was it so they can produce milk just in, in case, in case um, the mother couldn't? Yeah. So the original organisms were all female. And so, yes. Yeah, so the, and so this is, we have these vestigial structures, but they all serve a purpose. And so they've served a purpose at one point in our evolutionary history. And by understanding that these bodies didn't just show up here, there is ancient wisdom. There is every organism in your historical line that survived um, had to adapt to its unique environment. And all of that wisdom is just concentrated into our bodies. And every everything serves a purpose. Everything is perfectly organized. When you look at the arrangement of the brain and the brainstem, the brainstem perfectly mirrors these very basic organisms that had one opening one opening and then the the morsel of food would come in and it would go around in a certain way and then it would exit and that's exactly how our brainstem is organized 
And so by understanding that there's just such wisdom, when you have a sore throat, this isn't the random, you know, work of a little virus or a bacteria that's attacking your throat. This is a, an orchestrated adaptation program controlled from your brain in response to something you experienced. And so getting very curious and getting really in tune, something for me, um, this was years ago when I was in chiropractic school and reading about innate intelligence. So like the founders of chiropractic, they just talked all the time about innate intelligence, innate intelligence. That's the wisdom of the body that literally built itself from scratch. And I kind of had this existential moment, just like paying attention to my autonomic nervous system. So the thing that's beating my heart and, you know, causing all of my functions to go on at this moment, it's just always operating. It's always doing exactly what it needs to do. It's always perfectly balancing my blood chemistry. It's making me sweat because it's so hot in this room. It, you know, to keep my perfect internal temperature, it's, it's always maintaining this homeostasis that's its job. And it's really, really cool. Like even just paying attention to the urge to take a sip of some water, the urge to go to the bathroom. Like, it's like, wow, I, it, there's such wisdom going on here. It's when we get in our heads and we try to override and we assume we know what the body is doing. We need to remove this and cut this out and take this pill to suppress this, you know, rather than just sitting and being able to like, listen to nature. And, and that's kind of a moment, you guys, like if you haven't done that to really, really tune into your physical body and whatever it is you're dealing with, a lump, a bump, a rash, a, you know, a condition that hasn't gone away. Um, I just feel like it's the, the worst crime against humans. I, I consider it biological terrorism to tell a person that your body has turned on you or that cells in your body can turn on you and go crazy and that it's trying to kill you. That I think is just the most, the deepest betrayal for you to think that your body has, has, or even could turn on you rather than the deep understanding that your body wants you to survive and to reproduce. That's kind of the game here is we just want to keep this thing going and your body would never turn on you. Yeah, and it's, it's kind of like the biological version of self-esteem, you know, because, you know, the, the, the study of self-esteem is that no part of me is foreign. My wants, my needs, my desires, my gifts, none of that is separate to me. It's all purposeful, you know. Um, it's just incredible. Biological terrorism. I like that a lot. What, I'm going to play, if you don't mind, I'm going to play devil's advocate for a second here, just trying to get in the head of potential audience listeners. Like, all right, sure, Melissa, in a perfect world, of course, my body's doing everything perfectly, operating optimally to keep me in the highest potential state. But we have all this fluoride, all these chemtrails, all these poisons all around us. That I don't I need to be in some kind of state to defend my body as well because of because of the environment that I find myself in, where there's so many threats to me. Body is highly adaptable. I mean, we've been adapting to all sorts of stuff from the beginning of time. Yeah. And so when it comes to like the onslaught of toxins and things, you know, I just trust my body can adapt to it. You know, and as long as I am in a sound frame of mind, you know, and able to prevent things or avoid things as best I can, that's the thing is, you know, avoid toxins as best you can. Protect yourself, you know, purify the air in your home, whatever you need to do, purify your water, don't drink city water, it's crap. <laughs> you know, it's like, do the things you need to do. But if you're in a position where all you can drink is city water, bless it. 
you know, and, and have like the power of consciousness. I feel like when you wield that over yourself, because I will not feel like a victim of anything, because I know that feeling like a victim puts me in a state of powerless. As soon as I feel powerless, my body adapts because it says, oh no, I can help you. You feel powerless. There are big, scary things outside of you that you have no control over. And so my tissues are like, okay, let's, let me do what I need to do. Let me add cells. Let me take away cells. Let me help you. And so I know that ultimately it's my, my peace is the most powerful thing for maintaining my homeostasis and allowing my body to maximally adapt, you know, and I take steps and I'm proactive and I do the things that make sense to me, um, to keep my body as pure as possible, but they found, you know, um, what it's like over 200 different, like random chemicals in the umbilical cord blood of babies. And it doesn't matter if you live on the forest out Island, like it's there too. That's the thing about pervasive organic pollutants. They get everywhere. But are we going to live in, in fear of them, live um, just feeling like, oh, there's just, I'm bombarded. I'm, I'm, it's coming from every angle. That's an experience that's communicating something to the nervous system. So despite the fact it may be true uh, to some extent, believing in it and giving it all of my attention isn't serving me. And so I have found that the best um, approach for me is to do what I can do and then not worry about the rest. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's huge there. You know, the mindset around it is so important and it makes me think of, uh, we had a previous guest, Tom Barnett, where we were talking about things there and we were bringing up the ideas of like, you know, geoengineering and things in the sky. And he's just like, I just like put my hand up and I'm like, I don't consent. I just don't consent. Like, and, and, and like, my mindset has been this for a while, but getting into GHK has strengthened it where I'm just like, I'm going to control what I can control and the rest, I'm not going to worry about it. Because it's like, you sit there, oh my God, the water, the this, the that, this thing, it's killing me. I need to detox. I need to do this. I need to do that. Like, can you imagine like the state of your nervous system, the state of your body, like when you're in that that state yeah. um, for extended periods of time, like that, that can't be um, supportive. Yeah. So ultimately, we don't want our bodies to adapt to an existential threat that we might be over overreacting about. Exactly. Yeah. And so it's like, do what you can do. And don't worry about the rest. You know, it's like, be proactive, do what makes sense to you. Um, but ultimately, you want to go to bed at night feeling totally at ease. You know, the signals to my body is all as well. Everything's working out here. Um, and so as best as I can, I need to facilitate that for my body. And that comes through, you know, my conscious choices and what I'm going to breathe life into and to give my energy to and where is my focus today. Um, and if I watch, the, and that's the thing is I, li I, I may, I think it was like a, Facebook post I made like a long time ago. If I read an article about Lyme disease, if I read an article about some random disease, I can start man I can start manifesting those symptoms immediately. You know, and that's why you have to pay attention to what you're feeding on because we can, you know, um develop these these fears and actually manifest the symptoms we're afraid of manifesting. You know, one of the um, biological programs um, is uh, um, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. And what that is, is it has to do with a frontal fear conflict, literally the fear of cancer, the fear of, oh, cancer runs in my family. Some of my family had cancer. The fear of cancer can create the adaptation that is diagnosed as cancer. And so even fearing something like the potential of, uh, of getting cancer, you can see how that is information to my body and my body's going to adapt to that fear because it doesn't realize that it's all in my, it's all in my head, <laughs> that there's not an existential external threat. And that's why you have to pay attention. What am I afraid of right now? 
Is it an actual literal threat in my present environment? Or is it kind of abstract and in my head and over time, if this accumulates, it could do this or that to my body. That is, that's a, that's a fake fear. That's a made up fear. And, but my body's going to act like it's real. And so I'm the one that has to kind of guard the gates of what I'm allowing to influence my psyche and what I'm allowing to create fear within me. Um, because I mean, stuff does happen. Why do we want to add on top of it? There are actual shocks and moments and texts and things we receive that we want to be downgrading and bring into context and do our best to, um, to navigate and handle those very real life situations. You know, people dealing with family members in the hospital for 40 days being you know handled by these people who you know don't really know what they're doing <laughs> and they're doing all sorts of stuff that, I mean that's a very how does a person not have a conflict over that how do they downgrade that when their you know family is kind of in the lion's den in that moment you know that let's let's spend our energy actually dealing with actual conflicts rather than the abstract idea that these toxins over time could accumulate and do this or that you know do what you can and um, don't worry about the rest so when you say downgrade, just to be clear for everyone, is that the DHS, the conflict happens, and then your body goes into, let's say, a, a sympathetic state where you're trying, you know, your body's adapting, you're trying to resolve the conflict, you're more stressed out, sweaty palms and hands, maybe you're not sleeping well, um, et cetera, et cetera. And so to support you not having such an intense healing phase, you want to downgrade it. So let's say like, okay, life happens, you know, let's say someone passes away, let's say I lose a job, etc. And I have this knowledge, I have this information, you're gonna, you're human, you're going to be impacted. And obviously, the state to the, the state, which your the state to which your nervous system is regulated, I think is going to impact how you respond as well. But you're still going to have a response if you're a human being and feel things. So you can go, okay, I know this. Okay, this is a conflict. I'm going to go get two massages today. Or I'm gonna, you know, go go for a walk in the forest, you know, whatever you can to try to like bring that really super, super heightened state and intense state to maybe make it 10% less intense or something of that matter. Is that correct? Exactly. Yeah. And that's the thing is that's why all of the modalities that all of the awesome healthcare um, alternative practitioners are out there doing breath work, meditation, um, uh, yoga, chiropractic, even all of these things. It's, it's let's help the nervous system. Let's help you to chill out. Let's help you to have this outlet to downgrade, to breathe, to reconnect to, to a, you know, a higher vision to understanding that, okay, this is a, this is a real situation. This is a human situation. And I've got my immediate reaction was to, to freak out, to panic, to, you know, stuff will happen to me and I will have an, a knee jerk reaction to it, but it's my awareness and knowing that, okay, there is, there is a biological cost to staying in this state. My body is, you know, reacting as though this is ongoing and my body's going to continue to adapt. So let me, how can I take the edge off? How can I bring this down from, you know, a 10 to a seven, from a seven to a, to a five? It's like, I just want to be downgrading so that, because I know that when my body adapts, um, when I'm in conflict activity, there are tissues that are adapting for my benefit, but that's going to be uncomfortable <laughs> when I finally do resolve it. And so having that, um, the state of mind of just that awareness, I know that I, I need to get some sleep. I need to calm down. I need to find a new perspective of this. A woman, um, and there's two videos on my YouTube channel. She dealt with um, a really intense loss. It was her father. It was a car accident. It was just kind of out of nowhere. She saw him just a couple of days before and then boom, he was gone. 
and it was, it was devastating, you know, and it, it was, and it just felt wrong. And she, you know, she was upset about it for a long time, but luckily she had already had watched, um, like my, my YouTube videos. And so she knew that she needed to resolve this thing. And she did some, I think it was rebirthing work, you know, she did some work and, you know, it helped her to process the loss of her father and kind of her relationship with men in general. And, you know, she hadn't been sleeping, did this work, did a few sessions, got the resolution. And just a couple of weeks later, there was a lump in her breast. But because she knew, and this is why, um, you know, Helmut says, learn this while you're healthy, learn it before you're in the midst of it. You know, sometimes I'll get on the phone with people, you know, and I love talking to people just to help give them this perspective, to give them this peace and this understanding that your body knows what it's doing. But once you're already in, um, in the diagnosis and in the, the treatment protocol and what they want you to do. And you're, you know, they're, it's a, it's a whirlwind. Like they don't waste any time um, freaking you out and telling you the worst case scenario and giving your, you, your, your timeline of what needs to happen when learn it before, because when you know, before there's a lump, when you know, before there's, you know, something major going on, you at least have that ability to say, okay, this is an adaptation. I'm a little freaked out. You know, this is unusual. I would prefer if this wasn't happening, but she recognized she was in conflict um, with this for, um, I think it was a few months actually. And then she resolved it. And so if you're in conflict for a few months, you're going to be in healing for a few months. And that's going to um, be longer if you keep going back into the conflict, you know? And so she knew beforehand, she knew that this lump was part of a biological program. She knew she had had a severe loss. She knew Dr. Hummer's story. And so just that information made a world of difference for her and how she navigated uh, the situation. And, and so, yeah, you want to be able to, to downgrade, to realize when you're in conflict and uh, bring yourself to that place of even if you can't totally resolve it, just feeling better about it, making it not as intense, the body is responding to the intensity and the duration of the conflict. And so if we can turn down the intensity, if we can shorten the duration, that means we're going to turn down the intensity and the duration of the healing phase symptoms. Yeah, I want to actually give a personal example from from my life because I think it I think it helps when we share examples like this is, you know, last year uh, I ended up having like severe symptoms like, you know, like cough and runny nose, et cetera. Um, and I, I'm grateful. I, I, I knew this, I knew this information, but at the same time, I, it kind of was removed from me a little bit when I was in it. Cause I was still like, wait, why did this happen? <laughs> I, I know these things I'm healthy. This shouldn't have happened. But then when I really thought about it and was able to track back my thinking, uh, my wife wanted to do this like long cleanse and I didn't want to do it. But then I was like, well, fuck it. You know, I'll do it too. It was like four or five weeks long. It was like last October. And the, and it's really strict. You got to eat at certain times. And I'm one of those people that like does the things that I want to do, the things that bring me joy, that bring me satisfaction. And like, I, I'm not sacrificing. I'm just doing what I want to do. I didn't really want to do this, but I did it because I was like, oh, let's just experiment because I, I like to also experiment as well. And I was just like, complaining the whole time. I mean, Sophie was just like, you're fucking annoying. Like, I'm like, this sucks. I got to wake up early. I can't eat meat. I'm eating this. And I mean, I was just annoyed the whole time, probably like a few weeks of this. And then I ended up going on a hike and it was freezing. And I was wearing like, I was wearing like this open shirt and the whole hike. I'm like, I, I noticed that I'm just like, oh my God, this, when's this hike going to end? Like, this sucks. Like, I'm so, I'm so cold. And like, it was windy and so this whole thing's happening. And then the next day I got this like really, really intense massage. 
that just I think sh- sh- like just brought me right into like parasympathetic state. And then that night, boom, hit with major symptoms, major symptoms. And so someone who didn't know this would be like, oh, my God, I got COVID or something of that nature, which goes back to your point even before about like, you know, being scared and, and by, through that fear of getting the symptoms. Like imagine how many people like were totally fine and had no symptoms and then just got like a got a test, you know, got one of those tests that say they were positive. And then that freaked them out because everything that was out there anyways. So I was able to realize like, okay, like obviously I was conflict active for a really long time. Like I was, I was like annoyed. Like I did not enjoy doing this. Going, My hours were changed. My eating habits were changed. And I couldn't catch myself in the moment. I was literally like complaining and like that was my baseline state. So it's no surprise that I had a pretty intense um, healing phase afterwards. So, you know, cause it's like, it's Sophie, it's someone could say, oh, it was detox symptoms from the cleanse. But like, Sophie was fine. You know what I mean? So it's just, I think, I think this is what, what it comes down to when we talk about GHK and why some people might be like, I don't know about this is that, like you said, it, it, you need such a level of self-awareness, like to notice the intricacies of your thinking and of your, and your emotions and what happened two days ago, four days ago to have that, like you said, radical responsibility and self-knowledge a lot of people are like, fuck that shit. Give me the pill. Give me the herb. Give me the thing. Oh, yeah. that's. I mean, it is. It's so much easier to take something than to deeply, deeply examine. I've been working with people lately where it's just like they're doing such a good job at like getting into it. Like watch what when you have a flare up of a symptom, especially for someone who's got like a chronic something that is, you know, pay attention when the symptom happens. What were you just thinking about? Because something was sparked, some you know, especially with tracks and triggers. So when a person has a chronic conflict, um, they had a conflict, and then all of these tracks and these extended tracks get tacked onto it. And so the body is responding to, you know, the thing that happened a long time ago, but then the food got got tracked to it and the music got tracked to it and the season. And so now everywhere you go, you're bombarded. You're constantly being exposed to these little reminders of the separation conflict, of the indigestible morsel conflict. And your body is in this, you know, um, adaptive mode where it's like, okay, this thing isn't solved. This is, this is still a very real threat, you know, and when a person um, resolves it, it's that it can't happen again. And so this is a this is a very interesting thing to look at when a conflict a conflict is resolved when it can't happen again or when you can laugh about it. You know, and so if the thing that happened back then could still happen now, that's the program stays open. It's not closed. The body is still going to adapt to it because it could happen again. And uh, what does it take for something to not happen again? You know, maybe if you're driving, um, there's an example of a, you know, a man and driving was his track. And so he, I think, was got to a certain age and they took his license away because his, his vision was poor. And that, you know, resolved the track of the driving. And then he developed some kind of major, I think it was a laryngeal um, cancer. But because he was on the track for all of those years, um, he was like um, active and resolving, active and resolving, active and resolving. And as soon as he stopped being able to drive, um, his, uh, this laryngeal cancer grew so big that it ended up, um, he passed away from it because he no longer was active and resolving, active and resolving. And so that was one of those examples where the guy should have kept driving and staying on the track, you know, and there are those cases. Can you explain what a, what a track is? Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Yeah. 
Yeah, so the track is, um, it's that reminder. It's the reminder of the conflict. So it's, you could even look at it like an allergy. You know, so when you respond to a substance to a, you know, people do, they'll, you know, get car sick. They'll respond to being in the car or to certain smells, certain times of year, they react with symptoms. That's a track. Yeah. And that essentially is that you're not having a new conflict right now. Um, it's that your body has tied. So at the moment when you have a conflict shock, when you have the DHS, your body is heightened. And that's, think about the most shocking traumatic things that have ever happened to you. Can't you remember like what you were wearing and the color, like the, the time of day it was, and you remember all of these like details and you don't remember details of a lot of things in your life, but the very shocking and the very profound ones you do because your nervous system was heightened and it takes a snapshot of everything that's going on um, for adaptive purposes. And so think about an animal um, down at a water hole, you know, just sipping some water and, uh, and a predator comes out of, out of a, a juniper bush. It's like, okay, my, the body of that animal, if, if it gets away, is going to store the juniper bush as, um, as a trap because of the one time that we almost died, um, I need to be aware of when I'm around a juniper bush, there could be a predator that's about to eat me. And so I need to activate this program. Can't you see how biological, like biological that is? It's logical, it makes sense. The body's doing it for a reason. It's not random. You know, it's not, oh, damn the, the juniper bush. No, the, the juniper bush, the gluten, the dairy, all it is, mm -hmm. it's representing to your body the reminder of a dangerous situation, a shocking situation, an indigestible morsel, a separation conflict that was so profound for you at one moment in time that your body said, better safe than sorry. Let's react every time you encounter this, um, this thing so that we can survive and stay safe. So let's say there's a there's a child who's like drinking their eating their cereal on a Saturday morning and there's dairy there and then I've nowhere like I don't know maybe they did something and the parent comes in and just starts screaming at them you know the, there you go you have a DHS right there and so their subconscious is picking up everything like they were drinking milk they were eating cereal whatever during that time and so that in the future would serve as a track correct exactly yep gotcha. And wow. so that's how it works. And so we pay attention to the things we react to. And so, you know, and there's clues. So when a person has a conflict that's like long lasting and it was years ago and they like can't remember, there are some conflicts that literally your, your mind, um, there's memory loss associated with the conflict where you search and it's not there. And so when you're searching and it's not there, you can't think of it. Don't get upset, you know, because getting upset about it and resisting it and saying, oh, I'll never be able to figure this out. Or, you know, someone I saw, you know, said that, oh, my life, I, I can't look at everything that's ever happened to me in my life to try to figure this stuff out. It's like, well, do what you can do. You know, like your subconscious mind, you do have access to some things. So by looking at what you do have access to over time, that may allow you to have access to other things. And so just opening up to it, you know, getting into this, this rhythm, don't demand stuff of your mind and your body, stop this symptom, this must, you know, and that's, that's a very just like dominating, controlling, you must listen to me, this isn't pleasing me, like your body, like you have a relationship with your body, you know, pay attention to it, listen to it. Um, think back to these different areas, you know, these times in your life and what you were going through and look at your body as being on board there to help you. And it's adapting in these ways. So slow down, pay attention, listen to the thoughts. There's always threads every day. 
There are little clues, little threads. You have to be a detective. You have to maintain a curious attitude about what your body is doing and why. If you're having a chronic symptom, you know, it's easy to get frustrated. It's easy to just say, oh, F it, give me the steroid. <laughs> um, you know, that's that's the, the route that most people go. They don't have the patience, the time, or even the care to. They're, they're so busy with their, you know, their life and their hectic. And that's why people would rather numb. They'd rather you know, do the allopathy thing, which is let's just reverse the symptom using chemicals. You know, let's, let's do that. Um, but for the people who really want to develop this relationship with your body, pay attention. You'll have thoughts, flashes of memories. And that's the thing is when I'm talking to people, it's just, let's ask questions. Let's get curious. Let's pay attention. Um, you know, and you can't, you can't demand it. You just have to watch for it. It's like an animal. <laughs> you can't demand, oh, I want to, I want to see this finch. I want to see this, you know, this woodpecker. You have to kind of, you know, sit around and watch and pay attention and, and things will happen. And then you'll notice I reacted and I, rem and I had a flash of a memory and I remembered this thing that happened. Um, Oh, this is funny. We could tell the story about the, the tongue scraper. So this is um, uh, before we went to this Amazing. desert event. Um, I was uh, in in my room doing my my sessions, and uh, my partner Stevie's out there, and he's having a like a huge sneezing fit. He sneezed very loud and very intensely, like seven times. I'm like, okay, what's going on? And later on in the day, um, we reconvened, and I was like, oh yeah, I I heard those sneezes. What was going on? He's like, yeah you know, he sneezed and then his nose just like, he said it was like a faucet that it just like ran like crazy. And I was like, okay, well, what happened? I go, you must've had a stink conflict, obviously. And he's like, well, no, you know, it was an exceptionally good morning. I felt really good today. And so his mind immediately wasn't like, you know, oh, it was this obviously. And, and we're talking about it. I was like, oh, well, what was it? What did I annoy you? What did I do to, to make uh, this, this stink conflict happen? And as he's, you know, thinking about it, his hands picked up, um, this item, this broken item on the counter. And I remember from earlier in the morning, it was a tongue scraper. And so uh, we've had these tongue scrapers since we lived in Atlanta, like 10 years ago. And we bought them at Whole Foods. And it's, you know, just like the, you scrape your tongue. It's a metal thing with little yeah. handles on it. And, um, and that morning he had come, like, he was very shocked. So he was doing his tongue scraping like he does every morning. And, and the thing broke. And he was so surprised. He was completely shocked by it. I actually, I was in, in here doing a workout and I heard, and he actually came and he came alarmed about this, um, this thing that had happened. And I was like, I was like, it's really old here, take mine. And, you know, and so, and then he obviously resolved it. He got over it. But that moment he was so surprised because he said it didn't show any signs of being worn out. There was no indication that, oh, this is about to happen. I need to get a new one. It just all of a sudden happened. And it was, you know, he was, he was frustrated. He was shocked and had this ma major stink conflict. And so it was that that led to the, the sneeze. That was the epicrisis of the, the healing phase of that stink conflict that he adapted to in the moment when his tongue scraper suddenly and, broke on him. And what's interesting is it was so intense, but so short. Yeah. So the healing phase was like really intense and short. It's not like he's like, oh, I have cold symptoms for a week, you know? Exactly. Yeah. And, th and then that's the difference. So if you if you have like a stink conflict, that's just like an ongoing annoyance and it's bothering you all day long and it stinks for two or three days, you know, that whatever the frustrating situation, then you have like a cold for two or three days. But yeah, the intense and short this really, really bothered me. I was really shocked that this happened, but it was it was brief but intense. And like you said, that's that's what that sneezing was. That drainage was the repair 
phase of his body adapting to this, you know, thing that really stunk for him. <laughs> wow. This discussion is bringing up something for me, which I'm thinking of. So like in Australia, like a lot of um, people from the Middle East came here from turmoil countries and war-torn countries. They were forcefully removed from their homes, like my parents and other Lebanese and Palestinian and Syrian families, et cetera. And I've noticed that a lot of them, they get really early heart problems and heart attacks and heart issues. For example, like I think three or four of my mom's uncles like all died in their 50s from heart attacks. And heart's territorial anger. Territorial loss. Territorial loss. That's right. That's right. So it's almost like they come here, you know, they forcefully remove from their territory, so to speak, and they're, you know, they've they, they had loss there. Then they live here for 20, 30 years, so to speak, and there's kind of a resolution and perhaps the heart attack comes through. Yep. And that makes perfect sense. When you look at groups of people and the stuff that they deal with, you know, um, territorial loss, um, feeling like the fish out of water conflict, you know, I've talked to a lot of people who either they, um, you know, had to leave as a refugee. It's truly, it's a refugee conflict and, and water yeah. retention. Um, people, even people living nomadically, um, they, they just don't have a, a home base, people being locked down for different reasons. And it's all, it just makes so much sense um, that, that individuals experience things in the way that they do based on, you know, our biology. The, the fish out of water, kicked out, left out, you know, where's my home? Where's my, you know, my homeland, my people even like scent conflict. It smells different here. <laughs> you know, um, we were just talking recently of like when you went to a, like a, a family friend's house or someone, a babysitter, and it's like, it doesn't smell like my home here. And that, that foreign smell, little kids who have sniffles, sneezes, they're being shipped off to babysitters and, and people's homes that don't smell familiar. And yeah. it is, it's just, you look at these primal conflicts and someone having a, you know, being, having to leave their homeland, territorial loss. Yeah. Um, it's funny you said that. Like, I just think about like, um, like the symptoms of children that go to daycare, like people consider daycare, like, you mean, petri dishes, so, so to speak, you know, and a lot of people assume it's just, oh, they're all in the same place. They're all vaccinated, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. When you think about how stinky that situation must be for a kid, six weeks old, two years old, three years old, whatever it might be, out of, out of their home into this daycare, this foreign place, um, it makes so much sense. Yeah, it just makes more sense. Like, I can see how, you know, contagion gets the rat, you know, gets like, gets... Um... Yeah, validated somehow. Like it's blamed for it, but when you really understand the conflict, the, the subtle nuances, the subjective experiences, how your psyche perceives it, and of course, like for, as a child, you know, there, there's, it's much more primal. You know, as a, as a three year old, they're not sitting there having like, hmm, well, this stinks right now. You know, it's 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 much more primitive. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it just makes more sense. Yeah. So, say for example, let's go back someone remembers the traumatic experience that took place, you know, 10, 15 years ago, it comes to them. Um, what do they do with that then? Hmm. Yeah. What do you do with it? You have to look, bring it out of the subconscious, bring it into the light of your awareness. If you know this was the thing, it is, is this still relevant for me? You know, because if it's still relevant, if it can still happen again, the psyche is not going to let it go. It's it's like it, we we keep the program open as long as it can happen again. And so um, there is this inner inner rearrangement. So if it's not something that's just practically obvious, 
what can be done about this? How can I rearrange my life so that this isn't a problem? If it's like, you know, this idea that I, I need to be a certain way, I need to show up a certain way. It's like, okay, well, what's it going to take for you to not need that anymore? And, and that is, that's an inner rearrangement. That is a, a changing of your self-concept of your relationship to yourself, the world, other people, because if it's still relevant and if it's still a problem, we can find ways of avoiding the tracks, you know, so avoiding the tracks is, as it's a legitimate solution. If you figure out this is a track for me, when I encounter this track, I, I have symptoms, avoid the track. You know, if you can't resolve the conflict, let's see, can you downgrade it? Can you at least find a partial resolution? You just got to get creative and you try a ton of different things. That's, you know, when we uh, working, working with kids, working with yourself, it's like, get curious and try stuff, experiment with it. What's going to bring you a sense of relief and peace and the idea that all is well, you know, what about it? Are you stuck on? What are you trying to avoid? What are you trying to attain? Can you get that in a different way? Um, and, and yeah, so it's, it's, there's not a, there's not one single solution because we are so unique and everything is so subjective. You know, what's a resolution for you may not be a resolution for me. And yeah. so that's getting to know yourself and developing self-awareness and having, you know, just this radical um, self-honesty, like what aren't you looking at? What aspect of it have you not acknowledged to yourself? you know, and so bring it out, let yourself see everything that there is to see about it and then get solution oriented and try a bunch of different things. And, uh, and then trusting, you know, people, sometimes it can be frustrating. You know, I've worked with people who we've tried to find the conflict and it's like, mm, we can't really, it's, it's hard. They are having a hard time really identifying what it is and they're having a hard time avoiding the tracks. And so the symptom is persisting, you know, and so that can get frustrating if you um, allow yourself to get frustrated. Or you can develop the attitude of, I'm figuring it out. I'm figuring it out. It's coming to me piece by piece. I'm downgrading. I'm developing this awareness. I know that in time, I will see what I need to see. Apparently, I haven't seen it yet, but that's okay. You know, um, even uh, this is a, a great story of um, a, a guy who, you know, is, had known GHK for a very long time, but was having a persistent um, problem. And it didn't go away until he went to um, like a, a high school reunion. And then suddenly he didn't have the symptom anymore. And he was like, whoa, what, you know, what was it? And it was, um, he, he saw someone at the, at the reunion that resolved like a longstanding track that he had. Um, and it wasn't until seeing this person and it just naturally like organically resolved by seeing this person, but it wasn't until he searched for it and tried to figure it out and tried to rack his brain about what it could possibly be and couldn't do it. Even knowing GHK, even having, you know, access to, you know, resources and people who had been doing it for a long time, couldn't figure it out until the, the reunion, the person, and then it just fell away. And then in retrospect, he put the pieces together and realized what it must have been and how seeing this person, you know, resolved this longstanding conflict he had. And I was like, that's so interesting, you know, and so don't beat yourself up if you haven't figured it out yet. You know, it may be so subtle and so, you know, like unique to the situation that but trust, trust and just stay open to it. You know, tell your subconscious mind every day, I'm ready to resolve this. Show me what I need to see. And then just you know, follow your intuitive leads. And I believe that you will be led to the circumstance, the person, the thing you need to see that you haven't seen yet. Yeah. Yeah. I want to ask you this because we had a previous guest on. We were talking about uh, circumcision, trauma, porn addiction, and a bunch of other uh, interesting subjects. And he was talking about how he, after seven years of doing deep 
healing, trauma work, somatic experiencing, et cetera, he was able to kind of like unwind and heal the layer of circumcision trauma. You know, this is pre, you know, this is pre-verbal stuff. And that he got a rash, a big rash around the, the penis, the area of the penis where he was circumcised. And that rash extended through like his whole lower, like kind of lower area and groin and area. So what would like from a GHK standpoint, those symptoms, what would they signify? And what, what obviously was resolved and what healed. Because then he also said afterwards he was feeling a lot more in his body, more grounded, less defensive, less reactive. Wow, that's really cool. So that's, you know, that's a separation conflict is a rash. And uh, the area reveals, you know, where the separation conflict was. So obviously being separated from your foreskin is a very intense um, conflict. And, and it, you know, affected his whole, you know, experience of, of his general, like the whole region, the rash was, that's where he felt the separation, the intensity of it. And so to, to do that healing and to kind of deeply, you know, um, resolve that conflict and to have that rash is that's so meaningful. Very interesting. Yeah, no, it's, 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 it's pretty amazing. And I guess that also too, where you think about like, obviously it was so intense and it was a kind of, you could say a short period of time. So the healing phase most likely is going to be intense, but not last as long, right? Potentially. Well, for him, did he, um, I guess the, when did the conflict begin? So was it something that he believes the conflict was when, when did he, um, the he idea place within a few hours, he says it was really intense for a few hours, right? I, I, I think so. But I'm just thinking in my mind, like the DHS is obviously the, this, this removal of the foreskin and then, and then you're done. You know what I mean? So I guess in my opinion, like it's the removal and then you're back living your life. Now, I, I, mean, I don't know how you resolve. You're not getting it back. You're not getting your foreskin back. So I don't know how you resolve the, unless maybe some people resolve it when they do foreskin restoration, but that's a whole nother, another conversation. But anyways, I was just curious from a GHK standpoint, like that, that rash around the area down there and, and, and what it represented, but the separation conflict makes sense. Interesting. Yeah. And, and yeah, the intense, short, um, experience and then, you know, to resolve that, to have this flare up of a very short, intense, um, rash that would, that would track. Yeah. So can it be said, Melissa, that like, there's a, obviously a huge correlation between traumatic healing knowledge and nervous system health, nervous system healing in general, right? Um, can you expound on what you mean by that? Well, I guess it, 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 it seems as though a lot of the the conflict resolution really is in in healing the nervous system and and developing nervous system regulation can actually resolve a lot of these conflicts if we go and do that deeper work. Well, I would also say that having a well regulated nervous system will support you in one having being more resilient, so your conflicts maybe won't be as intense potentially or last as long potentially. I don't know. I'm curious your thoughts. Yeah. So I would, you know, the, the nervous system's the, the, the conductor, the conduit, you know, but so it's the, it's the psyche, the psyche is where the conflict is, you know? And so it's, it's the resolution has to come from the psyche. Um, and then, you know, the nervous system as the conduit and it's, you know, if you're having tons of conflict and if you're very dysregulated and everything can set you off, you know, yeah. that, uh, yeah. you just kind of live a conflict prone lifestyle. And so, you know, I, I look at the, the, the nervous system. And so if you're doing, it's like a bottom up from the top or the top down, you know, some people have this bottom up approach where they're, you know, working on the body, they're, they're trying to release stuff from, from the body, from the tissues, um, which can help a person to bring something into the psyche for them, for their, them to become aware of, and then to work on, 
but ultimately it's it's in the psyche that the resolution takes place. The resolution doesn't take place, you know, in the nervous system of its own. It takes place, it has to take place in the psyche so that the the organism has to get this deep, you know, subconscious release of, okay, everything is okay. This is no longer an issue. The stone has dropped from my soul. This can't happen again. That's the resolution. Um, and so as far as how the nervous system is involved, again, it's the conduit, it's the conductor, but in and of itself, um, it's just, it, it just responds to the psyche. Everything responds to the psyche. Got you. Yeah, that makes sense. So it's almost like, um, like you're doing the nervous system work to, 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 to generate that remembrance, you know, within, within the psyche, so to speak, um, as well. Yeah. Well, yeah. so again, I guess there's different access points because you can yeah. work on the nervous system, but you work on the body, um, that's going to support, I think, support your psyche health in essence too you know like whether or not you react to something so someone who's dysregulated someone drop drops a glass bottle next to us and for some person it could just totally throw them off and freak them out for another person it'd be like oh for a second and they're like, okay cool i'm fine so again um yeah yeah and then yeah the, uh, everything that people are up to you know doing somatic work nervous system regulation uh working on their heart rate variability all of these things are super helpful you know for for what? For conscious control, for tuning in, paying attention, getting in tune with your body, doing something that feels good. You know, I would, um, you know, doing chiropractic work, I would see people get well from things. And it's like, oh, did you get well because I put my hands on you and adjusted you? And it was because the adjustment, the physical work, well, no, there was a whole experience taking place. I was, you know, holding this, this space for you and um, creating this positive expectation and helping you to reframe your symptoms and see it in a new way you know, helping you to, to see that you're doing something really good for yourself. And so there was a whole energetic transfer and a, a peaceful environment. And so when someone gets well, um, and they're saying, oh no, it was because of the acupuncture, it was because of the, the somatic, it was because of this, it's like, it was because of something in your psyche and all of the stuff that you did helped to facilitate awareness and, and shifts within you. But that's the thing that's harder to see. It's harder to quantify. And that's why when we're looking at the physical, the, every, that's the material, that's the, the physical stuff. It's so easy to say this caused this because I can see it with my eyes and I can measure it. We like things that we can see. We like things that we can measure. We don't like things that we can't see and that we can't measure which you can't really measure, you know, the, the degree of conflict and the, how the psyche is reacting and responding and how you're really feeling about something that's so private, that's so, you know, behind the curtain, it's where we can't see, we can't look and we can't measure, which is why science just says, oh, let's, let's ignore that. <laughs> let's not even because we, we can't understand it. We can't define it. We can't quantify it. Um, and so that's why we look at, particles. That's why we zoom in and we look at DNA and we look at genes and germs and all of this microscopic stuff. And none, all that stuff is none of my business. <laughs> That's how I feel about all things microscopic, none of my business. Nature did not equip me with the ability to see these things. So I don't think they need to be seen. You know, the thing I need to see is something that I'm capable of seeing, which is my inner world. And so when my inner world becomes illuminated to me and I can actually see how I'm feeling, ooh, like when I'm reacting in a certain way and it's like stuff we don't want to acknowledge, like, like jealousy or anger or resentment. It's like, can I, can I look at that? Can I look at that and bring that out into the forefront and realize my body's reacting to that? My body feels that, that subtle frustration, that subtle irritation, that subtle thing that's just growing. Um, you know, we, we think that it's, it's just an emotion. It's just in my head. 
you know, and nobody needs to know about it. Your body knows and your body's reacting to it. And so it's by bringing that into your awareness through the different, you know, modalities and things that you're doing, but ultimately it's the psyche that needs to, you know, resolve the conflict. I think that's what's so cool about GHK is like there's this inter interdependent relationship between psyche, brain, organ, and the tissues. Like with, they're just working simultaneously together. When the DHS happens at the same time, right? Is at the same time the brain decides what the program is going to be and then impacts the tissue or the, the organ at the same exact time. And so it's like this kind of like um, triad uh, of biological whatever whatever word i'm trying to say there you could probably say it <laughs> yeah it's so good and it is and it's like get in tune with yourself with all the parts of you you know integrate you know people are disintegrated they are there's there they've got all these different realms mind body you know uh my and everything's so separate and you look at medicine that's what they, they do they you see one doctor for your skin and one doctor for your heart and one doctor for your colon and you see all these different and none of them you know it's like this cohesive integration the in the ghk it's it's the whole body it's this holism it's this whole organism and everything is affected by everything and you can't you know part and piece and take it apart you have to see it as this this organic whole and uh, when you get into tune with that, you know, your, your thoughts and your feelings and your reactions and your biology, it's like, it's, it's a lot, it's a lot of moving parts and pieces, but you, it's all within you. And so when you think that, okay, it seems outside of my grasp right now, but I'm understanding it piece by piece. I'm starting to see if I couldn't swallow something and had um, like, you know, I have a little bit of a sore throat. Okay. I'm, I'm paying attention to that. Oh, I've got a little bit of a toothache today. Who did I want to bite? What did I want to say that I couldn't say? Okay. And you, and you make that connection and you, you know, you have a sneeze and you're like, okay, what stunk? And you just start putting these pieces together and you start paying a lot of attention to your micro reactions, <laughs> these micro reactions that seem like nothing. There's so much gold in there and you can see what's going on, what, you know, and these primal fears, like these things from very early in life, they kind of set you up for seeing the world through the lens of abandonment, for example. So if you were left at daycare, if your parents, you know, they got divorced and they're off dating other people and you just seem like an annoyance to them. And you're like, so you see the world through this abandonment lens. And so you, you keep seeing it everywhere. It's like, why do I keep you know, seeing and experiencing the world through this lens of abandonment. Oh, it makes perfect sense. My very early life situation kind of set me up, kind of put those lenses on me. And so I now see everything through the lens of abandonment. And I'm dealing with, you know, weight issues because I'm holding on to water because my body feels like a fish out of water. Like, where do I belong? Where's my home? You know, they don't seem to want me there. They don't seem to want me here, you know? And so I'm like between these worlds. And so bringing awareness to that and kind of coaching your young self, through those life situations with your present awareness. That's how you bring this context. That's how you start to create peace within your nervous system. And you notice when something happens, watch how your mind automatically assumes um, I'm being left out. You know, there's a lady in our group coaching program and she, you know, she sees the coolest things and she shares it with us every week. And it's so powerful for her to see these little, you know, annoyances and these little judgments that her mind makes automatically. And, but for her to have the automatic reaction and then to see it and then to say, oh, I see how this is contributing to either weight gain or a headache or some type of symptom that I tend to have. And it's by making that connection in that, in that split second where your mind is just like, I'm being left out they're not including me. And you kind of just get a little attitude. You get a little, you know, you feel a little frustrated about it. 
your body's responding to that, like, because that's reminding you of an early life conflict of being left out. And so that, that's kind of the, the level of detail and nuance and, you know, um, that we're looking at here. Very, very quick reactions that we have to all the stuff that happens to us. And it all makes sense. You know, when I work with people, I have them do this really extensive um, life questionnaire and, and not to, you know, to do ancient history and to, oh, like, well, let's make, it's like, it's so you can see so that you can see that like, there's nothing wrong with you, you precious human, you've just been through a lot and all the stuff you've been through and all of the shocks and the things that happen and the disappointments, it's been stored in your nervous system and your body is just, you know, continually reacting through the lenses of what happened then. And so if we now can create this beautiful context in which you can integrate and make sense out of why your body did what it did, why, your body's always been on your side and how, you know, there's a path through that's how we, that's how we create this, this new reality and this new experience of your body and these new reactions to the life things. And you start to say, Oh, I've got choices. I don't have to respond as I've always responded. I can do it different. And when I do it different, my body gets a different message, which means I get different physical results, which means healing, which means no longer dealing with the chronic symptoms. And it's a really, really cool and fun process. Um, but you kind of have to show up for yourself and be done, you know, blaming your past, blaming your parents. It's like blaming the genes, the germs, the this, the that, the Lyme, the toxins. It's like, okay, let me, what can I do? And let me focus on that. And that's empowerment. Yeah. focusing on what you can do rather than all the things you, you can't, you know, go back and change this or change. It's like, let's do it now. And when we work on what we can do now, we are, we become capable of doing more than we even imagine. I, I mean, it's so empowering. It's so awesome. I, I'm so grateful that I've learned about this through you, you know, when I was first introduced to it, because it just, it's changed everything. It's changed how I even look at food. I mean, I eat healthy. I've always eaten healthy, but like I have so much less noise around it. Than, oh, maybe I, than, <laughs> than maybe I did in the past. You know, I, I have so much more peace in my life. Now, again, I still get the occasional headache that comes on after I've resolved like needing things to work out perfectly and go well. And then the thing, the event ends and then I have my headache, but I'm, I'm working on my stuff, you know, but, but having the awareness is just yeah, huge. It's huge. So um, Erasmus and I both got matching ulcers yesterday. <laughs> Oh yeah, we both. I had like a really little. Mine's my, oh my, yeah, I had a little like canker sore. Oh, like mine, right mine, mine was inside. Mine was yeah, mine was inside, like on the, oh, inside, on the, yeah. on the like the muc, whatever you would call what it. What happened? I don't know. Well, we'll talk about it when we're off the air. <laughs> okay, cool. Awesome. <laughs> Sounds good. Um, so you obviously we want to bring you back in the future to get into some other awesome com uh, conversations, especially around cancer. But at the Music and Sky um, event, you started off with an amazing quote. And mm -hmm. I'd love for you to share that quote because I think it's really important, especially for people that put so much trust into an industry that doesn't seem to make people healthy. Mm, yes. And so this is this is a quote from uh, Dr. BJ Palmer, um, who is one of the founders of Chiropractic. And he, uh, it is, do you have more faith in a spoonful of medicine than in the power that animates the living world. Mic drop. Mic drop. Yeah. And, and that's that's the that's the moment. Do you have more faith in man-made potions and injections and laboratories and you know people wearing goggles and looking through microscopes um, than in the power? 
that literally has sparked life and has created this incredible organic organism, orgasmic body. Do you have more faith in, in, in vials and injections? And when I, you know, that, those quotes, I mean, they just landed with me so much because, um, this body is brilliant, you know, and we, we try, we're doing an okay job, but we, we can't build a body. You know, I think, I, I, whose quote is this? It's like when man can, you know, remake a blade of grass, it can, it can, uh, that's when it knows something about science. It's a, we can't recreate this organic world. We're only trying to scratch the surface of how it works and having just that reverence and that understanding that this body is ancient. The body knows what it's doing. I'm going to default to the body. I'm going to default to someone who respects the body rather than trying to override the body. I love it. I love that quote. We've become so removed from nature and we forget that we are nature. We are a part of it. And I think that's why people um, buy into the allopathic model so much and are hesitant to, to, let's say, get into GHK. But then those of us that I think understand this connection uh, to nature, we're like, give it to me. This is amazing. This makes sense. Because it does. Out of everything I've come across, I've been in... I've been on my own little truth-seeking journey for 20 years. I've been in the health world for 15 years. I've dabbled with so much. And like I said a couple of weekends ago, I think GHK is the ultimate red pill when yeah. it comes to um, health and understanding your body and realizing like why do symptoms occur and what is sickness and what is disease? And I put those in quotes because your body's healing, your body's trying to reach homeostasis and they have these such negative connotations with sickness and disease. It's like, something's wrong with me. Something bad happened as opposed to no, this is a, what happened, what happened and what is happening is exactly what's supposed to be happening based on your life, based on your perception of events, based on your reactions, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. I mean, particularly for myself as a parent of two young children, you know, I mean, it's game-changing and life-changing for, for, for raising kids and all the little symptoms that come up and that, they, that you deal with. That's a whole episode in itself, I think, simply the GHK applications for, to child-rearing. Um, but, yeah, man, it's not, 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 nothing, nothing's been the same <laughs> since, since episode 23, that's for sure. <laughs> uh, that's I love – I mean, when I came across it too, I was like, okay – why have I never heard of this? I was offended. I was mad. I was like, I went through chiropractic school. I've been in like around health stuff for so long and it had been around for 40 years. You know, Dr. Homer discovered, you know, 1981 and like crickets. Why isn't everybody and their mother talking about this amazing work and how, you know, that, that cancer is nothing to fear. You know, and so, yes, we'll definitely do, you know, a, a more detailed cancer episode because that's the big one. That's the thing that, that's gripped in, in the hearts of people is this fear, you know, and all cancer is, it's a long adaptation. It's you're in conflict for a long period of time, you know, and, you know, when we're having all of these little adaptations, you know, in a sense, there's, there's cancer going on, there's tissue loss and tissue repair or tissue growth and tissue decomposition, you know? And so like we're, we're building, can and this is, um, science knows this. 
science, <laughs> um, that we're, that there's cancer cells in the body all of the time. It's because we're always adapting to stuff going on. You know, haven't you had just a little, little tummy gurgle after an upsetting situation? You know, it, that, that was a little cancer, <laughs> little tiny bit. And it's just that when it goes on for a long period of time, that's when we put the label on it of cancer. And, and they, they change these labels all the time. You know, I know a person who got diagnosed with thyroid cancer and had to have a removal and, you know, a surgery and radiation and all this stuff. And now they don't even classify what this person had as cancer anymore because it's arbitrary. They're saying a certain number of cellular divisions when we look at it, and you just have to know that it's just a snapshot. When you get a diagnosis, it's just a snapshot. You got you, you went to the doctor two weeks ago and they took a snapshot and they did this or that. They looked at your blood, they looked at your this or your, and, and then they say, oh, ma'am, you have cancer. Yeah, talk about a secondary conflict uh, shot. That was, that was two weeks ago. Don't you know that my body has constantly been adapting during these last, my body is always changing. Don't take a snapshot and then tell me I have something big, bad, and scary. You know, it's, and, and it's just, I swear, it's just malpractice what they do and the fear, like you said, these secondary shocks, the way that they handle cancer. I mean, imagine a world where you go in and, and you've got something, you've got a lump, you've got, you know, um, a bloody stool. It's like, oh my God, this is so bad. And, and someone, you go to a place where they say, this makes perfect sense. You know, we've done a brain scan. You know, we, we've, take, we've looked at what's going on. You, you have this conflict. How long was it going on? Okay, well, this is, this is how this is going to go. Your body is going through a healing phase and you're going to have these symptoms and they're going to last for this period of time. And you might need this type of support. You might have this oozing. You might have, you know, this symptom for a period of time, but your body knows what it's doing. And so we're here to support you. You know, at some point you may um, decide you'd like to have this removed because the healing has gotten so intense. And, you know, this is where we do that. Imagine the environment, the difference between being of being held and comforted. You know, um, people are are afraid to go to the doctor. Let's say you've got something and you've kind of, you know, you haven't done anything about it in a while, and now it's just like, mm, there's there's this fear to even go in and get help because of the shame, because of the guilt. Oh, you should have. Why didn't you come in months ago? Oh, it's so bad now because they see everything as a problem. They see they see that even just cancer as a death sentence. And so too, we have to unbrainwash ourselves, our children, our family members to get out of the idea that cancer is this death sentence. What it is, is an adaptation. And does it, you know, do some people die because of the process? Yes. And this is actually a pretty relevant thing to talk about, you know, so people do die, even knowing GHK people can die because being in conflict is an expensive process metabolically. So when you're in conflict, you're in this heightened sympathetic state for a really long time. Sometimes people die in the conflict active state because they're conflict active and your, your body can only stay conflict active for so long before, you know, so when someone's like wasting away um, that in like cachexia and they're just like skin and bones, it's because their body can't adapt anymore. They were in conflict for way, way, way too long. It just took up all of their resources and then they're done, you know? And so that's a very real thing, being in conflict for an extended period of time. And then we have, you know, you resolve the conflict and then you go into the healing and the healing can be very, very intense, you know? So for like the territorial loss conflict, if you're in that conflict for nine months or longer, um, the healing phase is going to be fatal, Dr. Hammer discovered, you know? And so in order to, to work with that, to help a person to stay alive, Dr. Hammer recommended staying 
active with the conflict at a lower level, you know, so reactivating it almost intentionally um, to keep the conflict alive rather than completely resolving it. An example of this would be like a man who works at an office and he's, you know, been trying to keep his job for years and there's a lot of territorial infighting and someone wants to, you know, the younger guy wants to come in and take my territory. So he's been like, you know, trying to stay on top of his game all these years. And, and then he retires and he's on the golf course and, you know, he's, oh, it's all behind me now and drops dead of a heart attack, you know, and so <laughs> no retirement for you. Um, but so Dr. Hummer would say, okay, if you, if you've had kind of angina, chest pain, you've, you know, you've had heart stuff for, um, accumulated of nine months. So if you have it for three months and then you resolve it, and then you have it for another three months and another three months, it's an accumulation of over nine months of active conflict, which builds this conflict load in the brain. Um, you want to keep it active. And so he would say to, you know, don't totally retire, get like a part-time position as like a night watchman at the building <laughs> so that you can still be there. And you're not like in the heat of it, but you're still, you're still a little pissed off. You're still a little trying to, you know, um, reactivate this territorial conflict so that you can, you know, not drop dead of a heart attack. And so uh, knowing this stuff is very interesting. And people might say, oh, well, this is terrible that the body would do that. It's biological. And when you look at the the origination of these programs, when you look at it's the, the second wolf phenomenon and how, you know, wolf packs operate, very, very interesting stuff about, you know, alpha males and how like truly only 1% of, of men are actually alpha and everybody else is a second wolf and all this stuff. It's, it's very detailed and it's super fascinating. And you can see just the correlation to like animals and to our, you know, our biological brethren, because we all operate under these biological laws and society is different when you operate biologically. And so that's Dr. Hammer. So even beyond just, okay, this is really cool information about how the body works. Dr. Hammer, he wrote up a complete like constitution of how society would be rearranged around, you know, protecting children around understanding how these dynamics operate, we would be living very because the Western lifestyle is almost tailor made for for conflicts for lifelong chronic conflicts, which marries perfectly with pharmaceutical interventions, you know, but if we live biologically, and we live in harmony with these these biological programs and we're protecting our offspring and we're living, you know, um, in congruence with nature, everything's different. And so, um, we would really need to reassess. And I think people in, you know, in small groups and, um, are starting to do that, are starting to live, um, back in a biological sound sort of way, rather than these lifestyles that are completely divorced from our organic nature. Rooted like a tree, rooted like a tree, rooted like a tree with my roots down deep. Yeah. <laughs> Dr. Melissa Sell, thank you so much for your time. The work that you're doing and the information that you share is it's it's game changing. And I'm honored to facilitate conversations like this. And hopefully whoever's listening can be sparked into a direction of greater, greater health, the greater perspective and the greater sense of empowerment. Um, so thank you. Thank you, guys. I mean, any opportunity to to share this, to talk about it, to get into these kind of fun, nuanced, detailed conversations. I mean, this is this is where it's at. Like you said, the the ultimate red pill of people getting it, of seeing how this um, is happening in your life, whether you recognize it or not, it is happening. You cannot escape the biological laws; they are there, and so your recognition of them is only going to help you.
Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much. Obviously, you know, how I feel about you. I got nothing but love for you. Uh, for anyone listening, you know, uh, that, that isn't already follow Melissa on Instagram at Dr. Melissa cell. She's got a telegram channel as well as it at Dr. Melissa cell. She's got a sure. website, Dr. Melissa She's got a YouTube page with lots of uh, videos on there. You can check out uh, if you want to dive even deeper into this and, and kind of just keep, keep the learning and keep the educational process going. Um, anything else I left out? No, you're all good. Thanks. All right, cool. Yeah, we'll definitely get you back on in the future to keep diving deep in these subjects, especially around cancer. And um, just really grateful to you. I mean, you're so generous with your time and really appreciate you. And, th and this is information that everyone needs to hear. Yeah. Oh, and if your audience, you know, like either on your Telegram, if they have questions, that would be that would be great because then the next um, time we get together, we can kind of cover some specific things that people want to hear. Oh, cool. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Yeah. Any questions anyone has, like shoot, shoot them over to us and we'll compile a list for the next time uh, Melissa comes on. 100%. All right, guys. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of You for the Truth. We'll see you next time. Take care. Smoke and mirrors, I'm seeing through the illusion. Waking up in a the time, they think you're in a delusion. Somebody set the alarms, cause they be too busy snoozing. I'm in a DeLorean. Fast forward in evolution to a place where we can share our confusions. Yeah, 450 BC, I'm sharing tea with confusion.